This is a sheer on Likuti Sichais. Chelek Tesvav, the 15th book of Likuti Sichas, the Sicha of Aishlach, the 5th Sicha. Put on your seat belts and get ready for a revolutionary Sicha, at least in my opinion. One of the kings, the end of the parish of Eishlach, we talk about the kings that ruled in Esav, Edom. One of the kings, Ashamol Chuberetz Edom, that ruled in the land of Edom. Lifnei Melach Melech Bnei Yisrael, before there were kings to the children of Israel, is Yoivav ben Zerach Mibatsa, Yoivav the son of Zerach from the place called Batsra. So Rashi says on these words, he says, Batsra is from the cities of Moyov, as it says in the book of Yirmiya, when it talks about the retribution in the end of days, Ba'al Keroyos, that there's going to be um, punishment on Keroyos and on Batsra, names of places. And because, continues Rashi, Lefi because Batsra provided a king to Edom, to the Ace of Dynasty, because Yevav, the son of Zerach, was from a place called Batsa. So Batsa provided that king. It will in the future be punished together with them. Shanama, as we find the verse that says in Yeshaya, talking about the future, Ki Zevach Lahashem Bebatsra. There will be a day of sacrifice to Hashem in Batsra. In other words, there will be punishment from Hashem in the place called Batsra. Why does Batsra get punished? Because they provided a king to the arch enemy of Yaakov, to Esav, to the kingdom of Esav. Asks the Rebbe, what is relevant to the pshat of this pasuk? What we need to understand, the Batzra is from the cities of Maya. What does that give us to understand the pshat in the pasuk, the simple meaning of the pasuk? So there are commentaries that learn. That Rashi is trying to answer the question, why does the pasuk have to tell us where he came from? Why does he mention Batzra? And Rashi tells us it's in order to explain to us why later Batzra suffers the same fate together with Edom, because they provided a king. Even though they weren't Edom, they provided a king to Edom. But that explanation is seemingly not understood. It's not enough. Because when you hear the Rebbe in Ara 6, yes, says you could even say this language seemingly, even if that's going to be, even if that's going to be the way we do learn in the end. I'm not sure I understand the Ha'ara, I just want to point it out because it's, it's, it seems like there's something there to, to delve into. So here's the question that I've asked. First of all, <laughs> what did you answer? Why the Torah tells us wh- why the punishment is also going to come to Batzra? Why do we need to know that here? We didn't answer the question, you just said what the Torah is telling us, but why does the Torah tell us? This is the question. We're not talking here about the future of Edom being punished. So why insert that little detail here? Base, the Iker, the main question is all of the other kings of Edom that are mentioned, except for one, it says where they come from. And no, and none of the other ones does Rashi say any comment about it. More than that, in the last king, the Pasuk adds not just where he comes from, that his name of his city was Pau, but it says the name of his wife. The name of his wife was Mehitavel. And then it says Mehitavel was the daughter of Matred and the daughter of Mezov. Rashi comments there, Mezov means there was a lot of gold. Gold was like Mezov. What is gold? He came to such a rich place that gold wasn't. He didn't, he didn't make a big deal out of gold. And Rashi there doesn't say why you need so many indications about one king. 
he does say what is Meizah, but that's, as the Rebbe points out in, um, in Haranai, and possibly the reason he just, he does make a comment there is because we're calling, we're saying, we're identifying the person by two names. Matred, we're saying the, the name is, she was the daughter of Matred and Meizah, like, so there Rashi explains that the explanation about gold, the gold wasn't, it was so rich, the gold wasn't even a value. But, the Rashi there also doesn't explain from where they come, why it says where they come from. So we have all these kings. Rashi doesn't explain why it says where they come from. Only on one of them. Yevav ben Zarech Why Batzah? Because Batzah is going to be part of the... They provided a king to Adam. They're going to be part of the punishment with Adam. So from this we understand there must be that according to Pshat, there's no question why the Torah says where, you, where the kings come from. That's just the way of the Torah speaking in the Pshat. So if so, why does Rashi make a point of explaining the Batzah one? It's just... Uh, by all the kings, it says where they come from. Base. So we'll understand this by first understanding the B or explanation in the Pasuk that speaks about the godless, about the um, greatness of the kingdom of Edom and Yisrael. There's a struggle. It says, Shnei Goyim, when Rivka has struggled in her, in her womb, she goes to uh, the house of Shem and Eber. She gets told prophetically, Shnei Goyim, but Vitnech has the Pasuk says, there's two nations in your stomach. When two Nations will be spreading forth from your womb. One nation will try and struggle over the other nation. There'll be a struggle between the nations. But the older one will be subordinate, will be enslaved, will serve the younger one. Now, Rashi explains, when we're talking about the struggle of the nations, Rashi says they won't be equitable in their greatness. Rather, there'll be a seesaw. When this one arises, this one will fall, and vice versa. But at the end of the Pasuk, where it says, and the older one will be enslaved to the younger one, Rashi doesn't say anything there. So we don't understand. If we just said before that the kingdoms are going to be in a struggle, and one, it's a seesaw, one goes up, the other goes down. So how can the Pasuk say just in a, if in stami, just in a, in an, um, um, you say in an unqualified statement, in a broad statement, the younger one will be enslaved to the older one. The, the older one will be enslaved to the younger one. Hello? That sounds like it's a, con a constant in all times. But we just said there's going to be a struggle. So the Medrash Takah says, the older one will be enslaved and serve the younger one. That, that word Yavid can also read, will be served by. The older one will be served by the younger one. And Rashi says it's a swinging meaning. If Zoha, if the younger one acts properly, the older one will be enslaved to him. If not, God forbid, the younger one will be enslaved to the older one. But Rashi doesn't bring that. That's not the way Rashi, Rashi doesn't bring it. So we, that's not Pashd Pshat. So what's the explanation, says the Rebbe? About Shnei Goyim Bevitneich, two nations in your room, Rashi says, Geyim Ksiv. It says two exalted people, two uplifted people, two powerful people. Who are those? Antoninus and Rebbe. This refers to two individuals. Antoninus, the great Roman, rich Roman uh, leader. And Rebbe, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rabbi Yudha Anasi, who was Teiro, Gdulo, he had greatness, wealth, and great prominence. And they were both living at the same time, living next to each other. They had interactions with each other. Those are two great people of opposite natures coming from your womb. And then when it says about Shnei Lomim, two nations that struggle, Rashi says, is not talking about individuals, the individual representing Yaakov, the individual representing Yaakov. It's talking about two 
Malchus, two kingdoms. Mm. In other words, this is not just a poetic redoubling of concepts. Two goyim and two loomim, two nations and two and two kingdoms. No, there's a two separate meanings, two separate concepts. Shnei goyim means two individuals. There's a Yaakov and Esau, and each one represented in the future. Antoninus representing Esau, Rebbe, Yudanus representing Yaakov. Those are individuals. And then we talk about Shnei Lo'umim, two kingdoms. That's different. So now we'll understand. Different, different. The next posseh, which talks about two details, in other words, about a struggle and about the constant supremacy of the younger one, they're coming in continuation to the two kinds of, 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 of concepts coming out of the room of Rivka. We have we have this, we have the, the nations. The struggle of the kingdoms, let's talk about the kingdom of Yaakov, Israel, and the kingdom of Adam. They will be in a constant struggle, up and down, seesaw. But then we talk about the individual. Yaakov and Esau, as they are represented later on in their progeny, in their descendants, as individuals, the older will always be, untertenic, will always be under and enslaved to the younger one, as individuals. That's always, that's a constant. And this helps us very much understand, look at Order 13, that it brings from other commentaries, that Rav Yavit Sawyer is not something with a stipulation, it's a constant. And this we find also later by the brachas of Yitzchak to Yankev. He gives him the brachas of Yitzchak He tells Yankev, you will be a master of your brother. He doesn't say it with any stipulation, only if you do the right thing. To the contrary, when Esav comes and says, Dad, give me a bracha, Yitzchak says to him, What possible value can you have in a bracha I'll give you? <laughs> because anything I'll give you a bracha, if you buy and acquire Assets, Shaloyim, they're his. Because Mashakona Evid Konarabah, you're enslaved to him. What a slave acquires belongs to his master. So what can I give you? The only thing is, he did tell him, if they throw off the yoke of heaven, if they violate the Torah, the Yaakov kingdom, then a Farakta Ulim then you can throw off can throw off if, if, if Yaakov doesn't listen or Yaakov or the progeny the sons of Yaakov don't listen then you can rid yourself of Farakta Ula you can rid yourself of the his yoke from your from your neck in other words even in a time when Bnei Yisrael Chazron don't keep the Torah you don't get the blessings because it's not going to help you at that time you're also still an Evet Yaakov a servant Yaakov the only thing is you'll be able to throw off the yoke of his servitude. That, yes. And Ha'ara 18 points out that according to this, we'll understand the answer to what the Sif Seichachamim asks, that how can Esau now, how can Yitzchak now tell Esau that if Yaakov doesn't listen to the Torah, he'll be able to reverse things. The brachas were not given with a stipulation. Yitzchak gave Yaakov the brachas, he gave him unstipulated, unqualified brachas. 
Now, how can he add a qualification? Only if that if Yaakov doesn't listen, then Esav can throw off the yoke. Says the Rebbe, throwing off the yoke does not mean that the brachas are taken from Yaakov to Esav, God forbid. It just means that the enslavement, the yoke, is somewhat reduced. But still, the brachas are Yaakov's, and, and, and Esav is enslaved to Yaakov. Fascinating concept. Comes the Rebbe and says in Eis Gimel, according to this, we have a difficulty. The Pasik says, These are the kings that ruled in the land of Adam before there was a king by the Bnei Israel. So it's telling us how the kingdoms are a seesaw, that the kings of Adam, they were even prior to the kings of Israel. And on the contrary, and, and then afterwards, when the Jewish people had kings, they were able to cancel out. There was an end to the kings of Edom. So the struggle of the seesaw. When Edom was up as a kingdom, Israel didn't have kings. When Israel had kings, Edom's kingship finished. So now this poses a question. Since the concept that we just pointed out, the Barav Yavit, sorry, the older one is enslaved to the younger one. And the fact that Yitzchak promised that Vir Lachecha Yu Yaakov will be the leader, will be the owner the master of your brother, since it's something that's a constant. As we said, in the individual people, it's a constant. Even when Yisrael doesn't, God forbid, keep the Torah, and Esau's able to throw off the yoke, but there's still this imbalance, which is that Yaakov is on top of Esau. So how could it be that, ya- that Esau had kings just like Ben Esau later had kings? Without any difference that should express the concept that Esau, that Yaakov is, has, 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 is, 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 is positioned on top of Esau. Always, that's a constant, right? We said the only thing he can take off is the actual yoke, but not the concept that Yaakov is always a gvir, always a master and a king over Esau. So how do we find that Esau is the exact same concept, he has kings and so on. So the Rebbe says, no, the explanation is the Parsha itself says that the kings of Edom were not individuals from Esau. They're not from Eretz Edom. The Torah is, is, is emphasizing that these kings of Edom come out not from Bnei Esau. Takim. Esau never achieves that level of mastery that he can have kings, but that would be commensurate with Yaakov. And Yaakov is, is on top of Esau. Kings to Edom to lead their kingdom, which we said it's a seesaw in kingdoms, but the individual came from elsewhere. The kings came from elsewhere, not from Edom, not from the children of Esau. Dalit, ah, the only challenge to this premise is Yoivav ben Zerach Mibotso. He seems to come from Esau. How does that make sense? We just said that the persona of Esau is always on the Yaakov. So how do we have a persona from Esau that becomes a king, just like later on the Yaakov people become kings, when Esau become kings? So the Rebbe says, now we have a question. Yevav, the son of Zerach, because it's, it sounds Yevav, sounds like he is from Adam. We know why? Because Zerach is one of the chiefs of Esau. You find him identified later on in this parsha as well from the family of Esau. So Yevav, the son of Zerach, that sounds suspiciously like an Esau guy. How does the persona of Esau become a king? Two, in various places in the Vim, Batsra becomes is mentioned together with Edom. It sounds like Batsra is from Eretz Edom, so it sounds like Esau did produce a king. That is negating the premise we said before that they didn't in persona; they only had a kingdom, but their kings came from elsewhere. 
So Rashi tells us, have no fear. Batra is not, it's not from Esau, not from Edom, it's from the cities of Moyav. And he brings a proof, because there's a Pasuk in Yeshai that says, Va'al Kiroye, I think Yeshai, whatever. Va'al Kiroye is Va'al Batra. Brings Kiroyes and Batra. Where's Kiroyes? All those other places mentioning Kiroyot, all those other villages mentioning are from Moyav. And that Pasuk continues, Va'al Kol Ore Eretz Moyav. And on all the cities of the land of Moyav. In other words, Batra is a conglomerate, is a part of Mayav. That's what Rashi is proving by that Pasuk. And that's a proof that Yevav and Zerach is not from the children of Esau. He comes from some other place, from the, from the place of Mayav. It's a different Zerach, I guess, not from the Zerach of the Esau dynasty. Ah, Itaka, so why do we find, now Rashi has to explain, well, strange, why do we find that Batra is mentioned with Edom if it's really Mayav? So Rashi says, because they provided a king to Edom, they provided a king to Esau of the non-Esau dynasty, right? Because we said it can't be for the Esau dynasty because the persona of Esau is always under Yaakov, can't be kingship. Ah, but they provided the leadership so they're going to also partake in the retribution in the end. And that's why when it speaks about, where does it speak about Batsar? Together with that, the place it talks about the Puranias, the retribution, the suffering, the, 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 the payout that Hashem gives later for the trouble they made. Hmm, that's where Batsra is mentioned, I see the little kids, they will get punished together with Edom. Says the Rebbe continues in, hey, according to what we just say now, that with the words, Lafisha Mida, because they, they provided a king to Esau, they're going to be punished with them. And Rashi means not just to tell us the connection of Batsa to Edom, but to explain to us why Batsa is very often mentioned together with Edom, although it's not part of Edom. Now we can have a, an answer to another Diyuk in Rashi. And here the Rebbe goes into a very subtle Diyuk, very nuanced Diyuk. In a word of the Gaimer or non Gaimer. When the proof is brought by Rashi that Batsra is from the cities of Mayav, so Rashi brings the words from the Pasuk, Va'al Kiroyes, Va'al Batsra, and on Kroyes and Batsra, and he says, Vegaimer. What does he mean in Vegaimer? Va'al Kal Orei Eretz Mayav, and all the cities of Mayav. So we see clearly Kroyes and Batsra is from Mayav. Vegaimer means, take a look at the end of the Pasuk, it's also relevant. But in the second proof, where he says they're going to be punished together with them, he only brings the half the Pasuk and without saying, look at the rest of the Pasuk. What's the half the Pasuk he brings? Ki zevach la'ashem bebatsa. It was a day of, literally of slaughter to Hashem in Batsa. In other words, retribution. Without saying, look at the continuation. Now I would say the exact opposite. The first Pasuk should not have the Gomer. Don't need the continuation. The second one we do. Why? Because it's enough to say va'al keroyes, va'al Batsa to tell us that Batsa is part of keroyes. We know Kroyas is from the cities of Moyav. We don't have to bring the Gomer where the Pasuk says, and, all, and on all the cities of Moyav. Right? So we shouldn't need that continuation necessarily. If you're not into bringing continuations, don't bring it. But on the, if you are into bringing continuations, so you definitely need to bring it in the next Pasuk. Because when we say the Batsar is going to be punished with them, together with Adam, the proof is not really from the words, Ki Zavach Lashem because it's a day of Zavach Tashem and Batsar. That's not enough of a proof. It doesn't say anything about Edom. The continuation of the Pasuk says it all. The Goimer. The Pasuk continues, V'tevach Godel Edom, and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. In other words, punishment from Hashem and Edom. So that's what should be, he's saying that 
Butzah is going to be punished with Edom. So save a gamer to look at the continuation of the Pasuk, which speaks fairish about the retribution in Edom. Rashi doesn't save a gamer. So the Rebbe says, here's, the, here's, here's why the nuance is made in this way by Rashi. The continuation of the Pasuk, Zevach l'Hashem b'Batzah, v'tevach godl b'Yetz Edom, that there'll be a slaughter for Hashem, in other words, retribution for Hashem b'Batzah, tevach godl, and a big slaughter in Eretz Edom, big punishment in Eretz Edom. You could present this as a, you could present this as a, as a proof against what we're saying. Why? Because if we're saying that Batzah is really from the cities of Mayav and it's just getting pulled into the punishment of Edom, so it's a subsidiary punishment. So why does the Torah say it in this order? First tells us the punishment of this of, of the subsidiary and only then say the punishment of Edom. So the Vegaimer, if you go and look in the continuation of the Pasuk, you're going to get a little tumult, you get a little confused, you may have a question. So Rashi doesn't bring the Vegaimer. He just says the concept of punishment in Batzra is because it's attached to Edom. So what's Taka the answer? If, how can you learn what Rashi says that the reason Edom is punished is because it's subsidiary. The reason Batsa is punished is because it provided a king to Edom and therefore becomes a subsidiary attached to Edom. So why does the Pasuk first speak about the subsidiary, about the punishment in Batsa and then only Edom? The Rebbe says you could learn, and that's the way we're going to have to learn in Rashi, that the Vav and a great retribution in Edom is not actually a Vav HaMais of a Vav with and. It's a Vav HaMafsik. Speaking about two things, it's not joining them one to the other. Um, I can't say I understand a million percent what it means, Vava Mafsik, I'm sorry. Um, but it's not the and which would make the, f- the first one more important, the second one a subsidiary, because it should be reverse. It's two things. However, since you need to delve into that and to kind of establish the Pasuk, and it's not so simple, Rashi just says, I don't want to confuse you with that. I don't say Vigaymer. The first Pasuk, the additional words, they add, If you look at the end of the Pasuk, you see clearly, and then it says, you don't have to know where Kroyas belongs to. Look at the end of the Pasuk, you see, so there, it makes perfect sense. The Vegemer adds a lot. Here the Vegemer. So you would look and say, either do all Vegemer or do none Vegemer. No, the Vegemer there is, is good. The Vegemer here would create difficulty for the Benchavish to make it to understand, so it actually leaves it out. Look at the level of Diuk. Vav. About this concept, Rav which is said about all times, you can have a big question from the beginning of the Seder. I mean, this is, I, I think, not such a Talmud Chacham to know, but I think this is a big Kiddush, what the Rebbe is saying. The Rebbe is backing it up in, in hints at, at, in the Ha'odas, from various Mepharshim, but the way the Rebbe puts this out, that the struggle, that's only the kingdoms are struggling. The persona, Yaakov is always on top, and all the descendants of Yaakov, always on top of Esau. May I interject here with a story? Either it's applicable or not, you, you'll decide. There's a story famously told about a, um, somebody in the early years of the Rebbe's leadership, a non-Jew, the Rebbe would doff his hat, lightly lift up his hat. And, uh, and uh, there was another Jewish person, the Rebbe nodded his head. I think I'm, this is the story, if I'm getting it wrong. And the Rebbe explained, the person felt that the Rebbe was giving more respect to the non-Jew. And the Rebbe said, ever since I'm a, I have never bowed my head 
to a non-Jew. So doffing the hat is a sign of respect. Good morning, but you know, be respectful. Possibly this is, this is exactly what we're saying. The persona of Yaakov is, is on top. This is a constant. This is a bracha that we have. Rav Yavitzar. But says the Rebbe here the question, how could Yaakov, <laughs> you don't find this behavior in, in, in Yaakov himself, in the essence of Yaakov, he sends messengers to Esau. And he says, so say to my master Esau, so said your servant Yaakov. How could you say that? Your servant Yaakov said, I'm sending this to tell my master to find favor in your eyes. Oy vavoy. As till <laughs> later on in the Pasha, Yaakov sends a present to Esau. He bows to him. He calls him Adoni a bunch of times. He calls himself a servant. He calls him a master, him a servant. Hello. <laughs> we just said the Rabbi Yavitzar, he has a bracha that the younger son, the older son will always be enslaved to the younger one. This doesn't sound like an enslavement. It sounds like a reversal of roles. In Pshat, it's not a question because, hey, we know that Yaakov later, Yaakov is scared. Why is he scared? Hashem promises him, she's going to be protected. Why is he scared? Maybe I've disearned, I've become dirty with sin, and I'm not going to earn what Hashem has promised me. But, Hashem said, I'm going to do good to you, right? But he was scared. So how much more so we could have fear that maybe the prophecy that was told to his mother through shame, right? Maybe that won't be fulfilled. In other words, maybe he did something to disearn that. If something he heard directly from Hashem, he's still worried when it comes to Esau. So something he heard from his mother who heard prophecy through shame, okay. He, he's worried that this prophecy that the older one will be enslaved to the younger one. Maybe he did something to lose that, God forbid. A befort, the Rebbe says, it's not clear. That's not straight. It's not It's not smooth. And the Rebbe says, in the order 40, by the way, we know, just remember the Rambam, who says that when an Hashem says to a prophet to promise something good without stipulation, and it doesn't get fulfilled, that's a problem with the prophecy. A real, a true prophet, that, that doesn't happen. Hashem said something to a prophet good without stipulation, it's going to happen. So keep that in mind. So it's not clear to say if there was a prophecy of and it doesn't say any stipulation, and it says only when you, Yaakov, don't fulfill Hashem's will, they'll be able to throw off the yoke. Right? But the persona is always, Esau is under Yaakov. So how can Yaakov do an action which is the exact opposite? Even if he's humble and he's scared, he's sin. He calls him Adoni, my master, he calls himself servant. So the Medrash Taker finds Yaakov, a shortcoming in Yaakov. It says what he did was wrong and he was punished later. But as we said many times, since the others, by definition, are a Merkava, they're like a chariot to the will of Hashem. All their days, they never faltered. So we understand it's not possible to talk about the actuality of Rav, bad, God forbid, in their behavior. Can't talk about a chet, about a sin. Aye, things that look like a sin that are pointed out to be inappropriate. It's not the simple meaning of, of the sin of commission, of, of not doing as we Taka see in this Indian itself. Taka Yaakov is punished for this behavior, calling him Adoni and so on. As Chazal tell us, 
And this, the Ramban goes ahead and says that later this becomes one of the reasons that we suffer by the Romans, we become yeah, humiliated and so on. However, <laughs> if this is a wrong behavior, don't learn anything from it. No, Chazal learned from this behavior. <laughs> if you've never heard this statement, you're going to find it fascinating. There, the Gemara says, Machnifim l'areshoim ba'ilam hazeh. How do you translate machnifim? You, you kind of, uh, not grovel, you, 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 you act, um, uh, you act plastic nicely, like you say nice things to wicked people in this world for protecting the peace. You say nice things that are facetious and are not real. You know, it's, it's considered very fake when you say something nice to somebody which is not real. But in this world, if he's in charge and he's a Russia and he's a wicked person, you got, you got to curry favor with him. That's the way the world is. Chazal tell us that. Who do we learn that from? From Yaakov. When he sensed that Esau was in charge, he went ahead and he did things and he called him my master even though he didn't believe it. So in other words, what did that tell us is, on the one hand, we're saying that Yaakov acted inappropriately. On the other hand, you can't say that. On some level, yes, you can't say that. It was a Merkava. And the proof is, Taylor tells us, learn from it. <laughs> if you said it's inappropriate, right? why are you learning from it? No, no. So there's, like many of the paradoxes of Torah, these two things exist, coexist at the same time. And the reason is because in Hasidus will tell us that in the source level there are two, there are two, I wouldn't say conflicting, but there are two differing ways of transmission of godly energy and creating the balance, the dwelling place for Hashem in this world. Let's understand it. Let's delve into the Hasidus now. Zion. In Hasidus, what it's talked about is that in the source, Esau is higher than Yaakov. That's why he's the firstborn. You, you figure Hashem didn't know who to make the firstborn, God forbid. If Esau is the firstborn, there's got to be something where he, is, he needs to be born first. In source, he's a higher level. The fact that Yaakov is going to be refining the level of Esau. So what happens is that Yaakov now obtains and what shines and illuminates in Yaakov is the source level of Esau, which is higher than the birth level of Yaakov. The source, the, 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 the most recent source of Yaakov is lower than the primary source of Esau. When Yaakov refines Esau, what shines in him is from the higher source of Esau. And that's why, <laughs> that's why we understand. Chassidus explains, what does it mean Yaakov sent Malachim Lefanov in front of him to Esau? It means he sent it to something higher than him. What does it mean he says, so I say to my master, so says your servant Yaakov. Why do I send a present to Esau? Chassidus explains. Yaakov didn't mean the persona of Esau down below, the bandit. He's talking about the source of Esau, which is higher than Yaakov. Since, however, the Medrash says that one second, you see in actuality Yaakov is lowering himself before Esau down below, and that's why he gets punished, according to the Medrash. We have to say that that also, that, that, that explanation is also, that, that meaning is also true. That Yaakov did send presents to Esau the way he is down below. And there's also meaning in that behavior in the inner track of Teda. In other words, there's, two, there's two, two things going on. There's two things going on. Order 46 is fascinating. Because in the, in, in, in the discussion of what's taking place here, Teda Schaim says, the Middle Rebbe explains, Mr. Alter Rebbe, when Yaakov bows to Esau, he's bowing to the source of Esau on the one hand, on the other hand, he's lowering himself to dealing with the ace of the way the bad is down here, and he's going he's gonna to refine the bad. He's aiming at his source, but he's also aiming at dealing with it down below. There's two corresponding and 
I wouldn't say conflicting, but two differing things going on in the same place. And so when he sends angels to the source of Esau, why does he do that? So the way it explains in Chassidus and those sources, is because he thought Esau was already on the same page with him. He says, Esau, let's go, Let, let's pull the curtain up. You go to your, your source, which is higher. I'm sending angels to you. Let's make a pact. Let's make a joint thing. Let's bring the Mashiach. And then when he finds out that Esau comes back and the, the angels come back, he says, no, 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 no. He's coming with 400 men of, of he's coming with, a, with the negative energies. He's not, he's not refined. So it seems the way the Chassidus explains it, that game over. Yaakov made a mistake. It's, that's not what is. The Rebbe says, the Ovois, they're a chariot for Hashem. They didn't make a mistake. So what he did, even what he did, that um, even what he did, dealing with Esau, where Esau is taken, not refined, is also not a mistake. There's also validity to it. It's another way to refine Esau, as we're going to talk about right now. Here's the explanation. There's two ways. Ches. In the victory over the negativity and in refining it, there's generally speaking two ways. One way is through a way, giluyer, turning on the light, shining the light. The mavar, the one who's doing the refining, who's changing the reality of the negativity, draws down on the one who is trying to impress and change or refine such a high level light of kedusha. And when there's such a high level of intensity of kedusha, the negativity gets thrown away. We know light dispels darkness. Intense kedusha gets rid of the darkness. And what happens is that the holy sparks therein get drawn up and the rest falls away. Another way is in a way of enclothing oneself in the negativity. In other words, the one who's in charge of the refining lowers himself to the wrestling field. And it puts on gets into the fight, gets into the clothing of the one he's trying to change, gets into the reality, that, low, that lowly scenario, wrestles with him and changes the negativity to good. Each of those ways has a, has a virtue. When you're talking about the one who's doing the refining, well, for sure it's better if he can just stand from the distance and shine this intense light. He doesn't have to go down and, and wrestle and get a little bit dirty in this match. It's separate, protected. However, the second way, the wrestling with the negativity, when there's a closeness, he has to get engaged. He has to engage in the negativity. This could cause this could cause some kind of a diminishment in him. However, when you look at the from the perspective of the one who's being refined, the the object that's being refined, on the contrary, the first way it's being rejected. There's you shine on the intense light, and you basically reject, what it, what it did is it, it, it attracted the positivity, rejected total negativity. It kind of just negated it. In the second way, where we're paying attention to, there's a wrestling match. And, and, and the one who's refining is engaged in changing the one he's refining. Ah, so there's, there's more validity, there's more attention given to the, to the one who's being changed. In other words, that its reality shouldn't be rejected. Its reality should be transformed. So it shouldn't be a, 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 a menag, it shouldn't be a opponent or something that obscures and hides Kedusha. It should be able to be utilized and elevated. 
we're dealing, right? So on the one hand, for the for the mevara, better boom from the outside, shine the intensity. But for the one who's being affected, who's being changed, if there's involvement from the one who's changing him, there's a greater and more existential, deeper, real change in the one who's being changed. Test the tachlis the intention, the full intention of Hashem of Torah mitzvahs is to make shalom ba'elam, to make peace in the world. What does it mean to make peace in the world? To make peace in the world means that the opponent becomes transformed and part of the peace, not rejected, part of the peace. So when we talk about the world, the world is usually, the world, oila means hell, and obscuring of godliness. But now we want to make peace in the world, that the world itself should become refined and become holy. So therefore, the same way the Torah takes a journey from Hashem's primordial wisdom, comes down enclosed into the tree of life of good and bad. In other words, talks about how to deal with the falsity of the world and with all the trouble in the world. The Torah tells us two people fighting, one people stealing, two, you know. In order to be able to refine the good from the bad, till we find even that there's a posik that says, egalti. In the posik in Yeshai, when it's referring to the revel, to the to the um, Redemption, it says, Hashem says about himself that I've made all my garments dirty. The word egalti also has gula in there. In other words, in order to get to the inner intention, which is gula, redemption, liberation, which is refining the klipa, the husk, right? As it says there, who's coming from edem, and we have to refine and transform the negativity. So there is egalti, there is coming sullied, becoming dirtied so to speak. The Shekhinah is going into a place of Klippa and has to refine it and transform it and bring it back to liberate it, to bring it, to make a peace in the world, to make a Geula, where there's equanimity and there's peace in the world. There's a little bit of a, of a danger there. There's a little bit of a, you know, when, 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 you, when, when you wrestle with the negativity, there's a little negativity, you get dirty. So similarly by Tzaddikim, if Hashem says that about Himself, so Tzaddikim are similar to the Creator. Sometimes they have to reduce their level, go down from their level and enclose themselves in the clothing of the one who's being refined. To the extent that then they later need to rectify that, that they lower themselves to that extent. Hashem wanted them to do that, but then, hey, but you did the right thing, but you got a little dirty, you got to fix it. In order to make Hashem's fulfillment of to make peace in the world. That's the point, that's the, that's the intention. Yud. This is also the reason, I want to come back to Ha'orah, today's Yudalit Kislev, and I'm recording it today, of the Rebbe's Chasana. The Rebbe makes reference to something in his, the Maimer said by his day of Chasana. Let's first finish the Sikha. Yud. This is also the reason why Yaakov, we said Hashem lowers himself to bring liberation, he even gets sullied. That's why Yaakov lowers himself to Esav. Not just to the source of Esav, because the source of Esav is higher. He lowers himself to Yaakov down below. Even though, in essence, the older one is enslaved to the young ones. Why is he doing this? He doesn't have to do it for his personal safety. He's doing it because he's, 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 he's doing a more consummate transformation of Esau. The shlemos of the refinement of Esau, the completion of the refinement of Esau, is when Esau on his own is admitting that yes, the older one needs to be enslaved to the younger one. To, to get to that place, there needed to be not just Yaakov shining his supremacy on him, his giliers, his light. Also to enclose himself in the mindset, in the levushim 
of the one he's refining. And that's, that incorporates and includes a descent of the one who's doing the refining. To the extent, yes, that, 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 we look, that the Medrash says, he, he got a little dirty, there's a, there's a diminishment in his level, there's a chisar and there's a lacking. But what did it result in? What did it result in? He lowered himself for Esau, but Dafka through that, Esau comes and says, Achi, my brother, you should have what you have. And Rashi points out, here, he agrees to the brachas. What's the bracha? One of the brachas is that you will always be a master to your brother. He says, brother, you got it. You, are, you have that position. So he infiltrated Esau and got Esau to admit, yeah, you're the guy. I'm the subordinate. To the extent it's going to be in La'asid Lava, the future, when Shiach comes and says, when Esau offers to go with him, he says, no, 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 I'll come see you. One day I'll come see you. That's going to be when Shiach comes, where there's going to be, and there's going to be the, the open refinement of Esau. The Zoyar says it, that we quotes in R58, Yaakov lowers his spirit to Esau. Begin in order. That afterwards he should be a slave to him. And he'll rule over him. And the fulfillment of the prophecy will be fulfilled. So the Zayar Mamish seems to say that this was the intention of Yaakov. It wasn't a lowering. It was a lowering in order. In order. It was a tactic. It was a part of the methodology of transformation of Esau. I want to go back here to order 55. When we talk about making peace in the world where Hashem descends in order to redeem, it says Hashem will, um, will what should we call it, tzaddikim, in order to, to change the world. I have to get sometimes lower themselves and get involved in the confines of the world in order to change it from the inside. Order 55, the Rebbe says, similarly, the reason for the descent of the Jewish people into Golos is in order to change the darkness of the Golos itself. It says the Rebbe, this is the chidosh and the advantage when we say it says Sholem Rav create peace in the world. That's Sholem. And much peace is created by your children. By those that build you. Much peace is created by the Bnei Israel. What's the much peace? What's Rav Shalim over Shalim? There's peace and there's major peace. So he says, peace in itself is the transformation of the world. Helam, Rav Shalim, the world is just an obscure, obscures godliness, it hides it, it doesn't necessarily oppose it. But Rav Shalim and a, and, a, and a major peace is achieved, that's already talking about the refinement of the level down from Obscuring of the world, Golos. Golos opposes Kedusha. Says the Rebbe, this could be also the difference. Look at the star. Yeshlema, that this is also the difference between the refinement of Lavan and the refinement of Esau. Lavan wasn't as bad as Esau. Esau was Gevurish, cautious Yesav Lavan. He was a higher intensity of negativity than Lavan. So maybe Rav, we know that Esau is called Rav. So Rav Shloim would be the overcoming of Esau. And Sholem Ba'elam would be the overcoming of Lavan, two different levels. Says the Rebbe that, uh, that um, according to this we can explain 
the what the 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 chain of the topic of the Maimer Bechol Manaich in 1928. And in this year, that the, this Sikha is being said, this Vayishlach Sikha is in Tafshin Lametes. And Tafshin Lametes was 50 years of the Rebbe's anniversary. And the Rebbe here says, that's why I'm referring back to it now. It's 50 years, and 50 years is a jubilee, right? So the Rebbe says we can explain the the, the continuation of things in that mimer. That after the Ralph Fidikabu brings the mimer, that the scholars are marbim shalim to create peace in the world, it brings that it says, Shuvi, Shuvi, Ashulamis. The Medrash says, in, in the Pasuk in Shir Hashim, it says, Come back, come back, my complete one, my Shulamis, the one that's peaceful. The Medrash says that this is talking about the Zmanagolos. The Bnei Sol are called Shulamis, my, my, my peaceful one. Why are they called that? Says the Medish, This is the nation that made peace between me and my world. As we said, the Bnei Yisrael make peace in the world. Because the Indian of Marbim Shalom Be'elam is done through who? Dafka through the refinement in the time of Golos. Right? He says, Marbim Shalom. We're talking about a major peace. This is the way the Bnei Yisrael are called Shulamis. That's why the Medrash says, he brings to the Medrash that we that the Shulam is the peace that we're talking about here is, is talking about the Golos time. Here's the further quote from the Medrash. The nations of the world say to the Yidden, How long will you continue to be killed and die for your God? Come join us where there's no sacrifice needed. The Yidden answered the Goyim. He says, What do you know about what we have as the peacemaking people of Hashem. Can you give us what we got at Sinai? Of course we're going to dedicate and sacrifice ourselves for Hashem, for our relationship that we got at Sinai. If we're talking about the Bnei Yisrael, the way they are in their absolute best, they give up their lives for Hashem. As we say, the way they're called Shulamis, because they kind of uh, make peace in their soul or they complete their soul being one with Hashem by giving up their lives for Him why do they even have to answer the nations of the world who cares say what you the nations are saying come join us why you, why you sacrifice yourself why, why honor the, the, that neg- negative negative with even an answer says the Rebbe because the Messiah's nefesh of the time of Golas has to be in a way where the Golas itself understands the Golas itself is refined. That's why they have to answer the Umas Ha'elam. And through that, the Umas Ha'elam and the world, the Maskimim, they internally, they internalize, they, they, they agree with the Messiah Nefesh B'nei Yisrael. So in other words, the Rebbe is saying that there's Talmud HaChacham Ba'am Shalom, there's the Shalom that Torah makes in this world, but the further descent, because world doesn't have to be Golas. world could just be an obscuring. It's kind of, you know, parv. The fact that we're in Golas where there's a darkness that brings out our greater power. The greater peace, the refining of Esau, which is represented by Rav. It's Lachar Habe and the Abedis HaKedish. Mashiach now.